your Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. For so Let's go ahead and put that first visual up here. Uh, for some months now, we have been looking through the Gospel of Mark. We have been looking through the Gospel of Mark and uh, all that it, it speaks to us. It is the life and the ministry, the teachings of Jesus. If you've been with us, you have, you have perhaps seen some things. In fact, almost every week, somebody comes up to me and said, I never knew that was in there. And on a few occasions, I have replied with, you know what, I didn't either. But as we look into the life and the ministry, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the miracles, the wonders of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, I really believe the Lord has spoken to us. And so we're really focusing in on this. What happens, what happens is that in, in, in going at it, not necessarily verse by verse, but section by section, what happens is the Lord speaks to us in ways that I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you tend to go towards the favorite portions of Scripture, but when we go through it systematically like this, the Lord can really uh, speak to us in, in, uh, in, in ways that He intended as His Holy Spirit inspired the Word. This morning, just a, a bit of an explanation, this morning's message from Mark chapter 9 actually has several parts. The first part today the second part is going to be next Sunday. So if, you're, if you have some plans, well, come back. Join us next week. I know it's Labor Day. We're going to be meeting here at, at 1030. And so join us. Uh, if you're camping, well, then just close up the camper and come on back. If you're at the lake, the fish will wait. Come on back. Join us and then go back. And, and you will catch better fish if you do that. Pretty sure on that. In fact, it may fill up your, that's biblical, right? It may fill up your boat. But uh, you come back, join us next week as we continue to hear more of the story, the true story that we're going to begin looking at today. Mark chapter 9 records a significant event in Jesus' life and ministry. And we've seen many significant events. We've seen many powerful moments. In fact, we saw one just a few weeks ago. It, it records a very significant event. It records his transfiguration. Now that's a pretty big word, that's a kind of a, a little bit perhaps a confusing word. It is a biblical word, and, and you're going to find out increasingly what that word means or meant and what it means to us today. This event that is recorded here in Mark chapter 9 is not there, like all of it, it is not there incidentally, but God has a purpose for it, to speak to us today. It's not simply a record of an event that happened. It is something that is recorded not only to record that event, but to change our lives today. There's power, there's power in the transfiguration. It was a very dramatic event. So, Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 2, it reads this way. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, there's that word, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, 
as no one on earth could bleach them. Just imagine that. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking, they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, that means teacher, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he, that is Peter, did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, I thank you for your word and how, how, for how you speak to us. I thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. May we, Lord, today and in the hours and days following, not simply be readers or hearers of your word, but may we be doers of your word. This we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 2 begins with the words, and after six days. I want you to notice that. Which begs the question, six days after what? It says, and after six days. Six days after what? Well, it takes a little bit of explanation. If you've been with us for some weeks, you kind of have an idea of what went on before, but let me help you. It was six days after the disciples had heard one of their own, Peter, declare for the very first time that Jesus was the long-awaited and God-promised Christ or Messiah. Back in chapter 8, verse 29, Peter had said to Jesus, when Jesus asked, well, who do you say, speaking to the disciples, made it very personal. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, prompted by God himself, spoke out. He said, you are the Christ. You see that back in chapter 8, verse 29. Now, let me just explain. Some of you are aware of this, but the, 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 the word Christ, the word Christ is not a name. It's not the second part of Jesus' name. The word Christ is a title. It is a title that means Messiah. So it would be proper to say Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Now, if you say Jesus Christ, that's fine. It's not improper. But I want you to understand, when we say Jesus Christ, it is a declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. The word Messiah means the righteous one who makes all things right. For as long as all of the disciples could remember, for as long as any good Jewish person could remember, then and even now, an observant Jew, they have heard and heard back then about the, uh, the, the long-anticipated Messiah, the one who would come and make all things right. If you think that 
that persecution against Jews is a 20th or 21st century phenomenon. It's not. It was very, we recorded, it's very, I'm not diminishing that, but actually God's people have been persecuted since the very beginning of the Jewish people back in Abraham's time, about 2,000 years B.C. So because of, in part because of that, God said he was going to send a Messiah, one who would right all of the wrongs, one who would bring justice where injustice had been so prevalent. So for a very long time, the, the Messiah had been promised. And these people knew that. They were expecting it. They were praying for it. These good Jewish disciples of Jesus people raised in Judea. They've been waiting for that, that, that one who would come and make all things right. So suddenly, back in chapter 8, verse 29, when they hear one of their own say, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, something resonated within them, and, and I believe they began to look at Jesus differently. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that has been prophesied. This is the one that all Jews have been looking for. This is the Messiah. And they, 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 they heard that, and it was, it, was, it was a great revelation, but it was also revolutionary to them. Not only was it a powerful announcement, uh, an exciting announcement, but it also meant that their own lives, the disciples' lives, as his followers, became even more significant. You can imagine, the disciples were thinking, he's the Messiah? We've been following him for now, at this point, over two years. So that makes a difference in our lives. This isn't some far-off person. We're his disciples. We're the ones that he called, and we're close up. It was very exciting to hear this. Until, just moments later, when Jesus then proceeded to say that he would suffer many things. He says this right away. Jesus said he would suffer Many things, that he would be rejected, that he would die and then be raised from the dead. Now, this would have been extremely perplexing to the disciples. This would have been so disturbing to hear this. A moment before, they heard one of their own declare that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. It resonated within them, but now they're hearing Jesus himself say that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, and that he's going to be raised from the dead, those four things. This was, again, very perplexing because to them, messiahs were not supposed to suffer and die. Messiahs were not supposed to be rejected. Messiahs were supposed to conquer. Messiahs were supposed to rule. The messiah was supposed to reign uh, unopposed. And, 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 and because of that, it would put them in a good position with much power. And maybe, I'm thinking in their own minds, they probably thought, and nice estates and places of influence because we are with him. We've demonstrated that we are close followers of him. So in their minds, this is happening. This was perplexing that Jesus would say that. It was disturbing to them when Jesus said those things would happen to him. But it was just as disturbing, perhaps even a little bit more disturbing, when right after that, Jesus said that anyone who would come with him or anyone that was going to be a close followers of him must also then deny self and pick up their cross and follow him. We looked at this two weeks ago. 
so you understand what's happening very quickly. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the long-promised one who's going to come and make everything right. That's exciting, followed by, but he's going to suffer and be rejected and die and be raised from the dead. Oh, that's disturbing. Followed by, oh, and if you are really my followers, then you're going to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow me. And it was this almost mind-blowing series of statements that, that shook them up and caused them maybe a little bit of confusion and some degree of disturbance. It's worth noting, by the way, let me just pause in the narrative here. It's worth noting that in another gospel, at about this same time, uh, people began to leave Jesus. Mark doesn't record it, another gospel writer does. Where people began to leave Jesus because of the things that he said, in part because of the things that he did, people began to abandon. People that had followed him for some time, not the 12 disciples, but there were others, perhaps that group of 70 or some of the multitude. It said they began to leave him. And in one gospel, in one gospel, you never again hear or read about a crowd following Jesus after that point for about the next 10 months until a crowd gathered to shake their fist and say, crucify him. That's significant. Jesus began to say things that were so disturbing that people said, I can, I can follow him to this point, but I can't follow him any further. When they began to hear things like, if you're going to truly be my followers, you must deny self, pick up cross, and follow me or obey me. Six days had passed from that time. Six days had passed since that time. That's not a very long time. And while Mark does not record what was happening in them, goes from one event to the other, while Mark does not record what was happening, I can't help but think that the words that Jesus had stated that the demands that he had placed upon them, that the things that were going to happen to him were rolling around in their minds during those six days. They're walking along and they're, they're thinking, what is that part about picking up my cross, which signifies death, not just a burden, but death? What does that mean for me? What, what does it mean that he's going to be rejected? Why would anybody reject Jesus? They're, they're probably thinking. So these things are rolling around in their minds for six days. Six days had passed. Maybe his words, by the way, we looked at that text two weeks ago, and, and as I've shared before, this is not simply a, a recounting of history, but this speaks to us. Two weeks ago, last week we had a guest, but two weeks ago, I shared on that text from Mark chapter 8. And I, and I shared how how. When we're truly followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to deny ourselves, which does not mean take something necessarily out of our lives or to deprive ourselves of something, but it means that we surrender our selfhood to Him, that His plans, His desires, His purposes are more important than my plans and my purposes and my desires. And I shared two weeks ago how how as followers of Jesus Christ today, we too are called, like those disciples, are called to pick up our cross. 
which again does not mean, oh, that's just a heavy thing that I have to carry through life, but rather it means we have to die to some things. Maybe in the last two weeks something has been rolling around in your mind. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been bringing something back to your life, and the Holy Spirit is saying that thing in your life, it has to die. So that's what I'm praying. Because if this morning or any morning, when we just bring something and we point out what happened a long time ago, we learn a few points and facts and figures about history, but nothing is internalized. It is my prayer that as we look at these things that we would understand, all right, am I still, is myself still preeminent in my life? Or have I surrendered my selfhood, my, my purposes, plans, and desires to Him? Am I willing Am I willing to experience death of things in my life when the Holy Spirit or God's Word speaking to us says that must go? Have you experienced some death in the past two weeks? When Jesus said, if you're going to truly be my disciples, you must deny self, pick up cross, and follow me. Follow me simply means obey me. It means that when we, when we look into this word, we read the words and we read his words and we read throughout this word, throughout these 66 books of this Bible that is unlike any other book because this alone is the word of God. When we read that and the, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word and says, that must go in your life. Do we obey or do we just push it off to the side? When we see those things that are destructive in our lives, do we surrender to them again and again and again? Or do we say, Lord, regardless of how hard it is, how difficult it is, I am going to follow you, I'm going to obey you, even if this world around me says, don't. It's pretty, pretty heavy stuff. So this had been rolling around in their minds for six days. Maybe it's been rolling around in your minds for 14 days. I trust that it have, that it has. See, I want you to understand that, that our walk with Jesus Christ, with all respect to an event that happened in your life, I want you to understand that our walk with Jesus Christ is more than simply a date in time in which we surrendered our life to Him. That was the beginning, but that's not the totality. So that instead of simply saying, if someone says, so tell me about your walk with Christ, we say, well, in 1970-something or 80-something or 90-something or 2010-something, instead of simply looking at that date in which we were, we were saved or when we made that first public confession, perhaps at a time of baptism, rather than simply looking at that date, we say, look at my life. Today, right now, I am denying self. I am dying to something, picking up my cross, and I am following him. Folks, gone are the days when we should ever simply point to a date and say, I am saved because of that day. That was the beginning, thank God for it. But I am saved and I am following Jesus today. Today. We have a lot of people in our world who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but they're not denying self. We have a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, but they've not died, put to death. Things in their lives that are destructive. There are a lot of people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but they don't follow Jesus' words. We can't, we can't just point to a date. Verse 2 again says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain 
by themselves. You see that verse before you. Now, understand this time frame. Jesus had called all 12 disciples. He'd called them within a relatively short span of time, uh, a little bit more than two years before. He had called all of them. Some were fishermen, some were, one was a zealot, one was a tax, and just a whole, a whole variety of people. Jesus had called all of them. All of them had been with him now for many, many months. But here, here we read in verse 2, that he separated out three of them, Peter, James, and John, to be with him on this high mountain. Picture this in your minds. Jesus is with the 12 disciples. It's early morning. They're sitting around. I don't know if they had a campfire, some gathering. They had spent someplace for the night. They get up, and Jesus is with them, and he addresses all of them. And he says, all right, guys, here we have a new day. Peter, James, and John, you come with me. The rest of you stay right here. Now picture this. So Peter, James, and John go, oh. Okay. And, and they go off with him. Now, I, it doesn't record it, but I wonder what the other nine disciples thought. You ever, you ever think about that? I wonder what they thought. I, I'm thinking it was something like this. <laughs> or maybe it was something like this. Oh, Guys, have a wonderful time, just the four of you, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. You guys go, we'll be fine. I don't think that was, it was like that. I think it was maybe a little bit like this. Who do they think they are? Who, wh- why, why do they get to go with him? I, I wonder if, if one of them said, oh, la-di-da, there they go, and here we are. I don't know what la-di-da is in Hebrew, but it was, probably sounds like la-di-da. And off they went. By the way, this is not the first time that Jesus had done this. Jesus has also at other times pulled this same group of three out from the others. Back in Mark chapter 5, maybe you remember the story. Uh, There was a little girl who was dead. And Jesus took, he had all the disciples, but he took Peter, James, and John, same three guys, into the house and raised the little girl from the dead. The other guys heard about it. These three guys saw it. Hmm. Now, if you think that's not enough, a a number of chapters later in Mark chapter 14, Jesus took Peter, James, and John just before Jesus was rejected or just before he was arrested. The Bible says that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, after the Last Supper and before his arrest and eventual crucifixion, Jesus took same three guys, Peter, James, and John. All of them were in the garden, but the Bible says that Jesus took those three a little bit further into the garden for a special prayer meeting. And then the Bible says, and then Jesus went even beyond that. You remember the story about the guys who were sleeping? It was Peter, James, and John that kept falling asleep. But they were separated from the other nine. Why is that? Why is that? Why do you see this pattern here? It makes you wonder why this pattern, why they were separated from the others. Why did Jesus take some disciples to places that other disciples didn't go to experience amazing things the other disciples never saw? They didn't see. The other guys, the other nine, didn't see Jesus sweat 
like drops of blood running down his face. The other people didn't see Jesus raise that little girl from the dead. The other people didn't see what these people saw on the mountain. Why single them out? It's a good question. For one thing, Jesus knew that something very significant was about to happen on that mountain, and he wanted someone to see it. But why them? Why not all of them? See, from our standpoint, if something significant, the more that you have, the more that are going to witness this, the better. So you take everyone along. But Jesus didn't do that. He singled three out. Why? Because his greater purpose was to better prepare them for bigger tasks. Let me say that again. It's not on the screen, but you, you, you can write it down. Here it is. His greater purpose was to better prepare them for bigger tasks. One more time. Jesus' greater purpose was to better prepare these three for bigger tasks. Jesus wanted to use them in ways different than the other nine, so Jesus took these three along to see things that other people did not see. see. I can say this because we know the rest of the story. We have the rest of the gospel, Mark and other gospels. We also have the book of Acts, and we know what happened to these three. Peter. Peter. We know this, that less than a year later, about 10 months later, Peter was the disciple who was directed and empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday to bring a message that was so powerful that thousands of people repented and began following Jesus. I believe one of the reasons why Jesus took Peter along, I've I got to be honest with you, this is just my opinion, I don't think that Jesus took Peter along because he was necessarily the most wonderful to have around. In fact, what I know about Peter, I, if I was on a road trip with Peter, I think I would leave him after mile 50. But Jesus knew there was something in him, and to better prepare him for what would happen 10 months later on Pentecost Sunday, he took Peter along. Peter also became the first disciple directed by God to take the message of Jesus beyond the Jewish people. And here, Jesus was preparing him for a greater task. James. James, James, we know this, became the first disciple to die for his faith in Christ. He wasn't the first disciple to die. Judas was. He took his own life. He did not die for his faith in Christ. But James became, he's the brother of John, James became the first disciple to die for his faith in Christ. In fact, he's the only disciple whose martyr's death is recorded in Scripture. We know that 10 of the disciples died as martyrs, but only one is recorded. One martyr's death is recorded in Scripture, one of the disciples. Now you may say, well, what's so significant about that? Here's, here's my opinion, and I only put it out as opinion. I believe that that Jesus pulled him aside because he knew that he was going to be one of the first. And I believe James showed the others how to die well, standing firm in their faith for Jesus Christ, even in the face of death. 
You think, well, that's not a very big deal. No, it is a pretty big deal if you're one of the 12 and you become the first one put to death for your faith in Jesus Christ. Someday we're going to know the rest of the story. I believe that James died with his head held high, trusting in Jesus, looking forward to seeing him again face to face. That's pretty significant. John. John was the other one who was often taken apart. And yet, again, 10 months later, it was John, the, 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 he was the disciple that Jesus directed to care for his mother, Mary, after Jesus was gone. I believe that he took, one of the reasons why he took John along was because he was going to entrust him with something so very precious, his own mother. And so he takes him along. He allows him to see some more things that Perhaps others saw. John would also later write more of the New Testament than any other disciple. John. John was the one that Jesus would entrust with the apocalypse or the, what we call the book of Revelation. He trusted him so much. And perhaps, and it's interesting, later on towards the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about Jesus in his glorified form in heaven and how he appears. And I'm thinking that John, who was also on that mountain of transfiguration, said, I recognize him because I saw him on the mountain. You see this principle throughout the Bible. In Jesus' story that we call the parable of the talents, Jesus spoke of a wealthy man who gave varying amounts to three different people. He gave more to some than to others, varying degrees of of responsibility with the expectation that there would be greater returns. You see, I'd like to say that, you know, he's totally equal and he gives everybody the same thing, but that's not Scripture. To some people, he gives greater things, but he also expects a greater return. After another story in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said this, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I want you to see that verse. From, again, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Let's go ahead and put that next one up. Much more will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. There's two different things there. There's a person who's been given much and a person who has been entrusted with much. Why is that? Let me bring it down to every one of us. The Lord has given much to some of you. The Lord has given much to some of you. Now, he's given something to all of us who, who follow, and, 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 but, but to some of you, he has given a great deal. Some of you, he has given ideas and dreams and visions and experiences that others have not seen and perhaps never will see. See, he can do that. He can single people out and say, I'm going to give you something that I'll never give you. And he will also say, I'll give you something that you will never know. I believe that that Jesus Christ has, has given many of you ideas and dreams and visions and experiences, again, that others have not seen. But let me add this. This is very, very important. If you have been given much, then much will be demanded of you. That's sobering. If the Lord has given you something, 
if he has given you an insight, an idea, if he has given you a vision or a dream, if he has spoken something deeply into you and you know that that's the voice of God and you know that he's given it to you, then much will be demanded of you. Someday there's going to be a day of reckoning when we give back what he has given us. And we will in that day be responsible for it. Of whom much is given, much will be demanded. Others who are here today or others who are listening today have been or will be entrusted with much. Let me say that again. There are others here today who have been or who will be entrusted with much. The Lord, there are people here in this room, the Lord has entrusted, has placed into your care. He has entrusted many of you with great abilities. I mean tremendous abilities of varying kinds. The Lord has entrusted many of you with great abilities. Some of you God has entrusted with tremendous resources. Others, he has given you tremendous and great opportunities. There are some here this morning who the Lord has given you or entrusted you with a place of influence. You are in that place for a reason. Are you that person? Again, some have been given much. Others have been entrusted with much. And there are some here who have been entrusted with so much. But remember, Jesus also said that much more will be asked of you. You know, there, there, are, there are some of us here in this room, there are some of us here, and, and, and he's, he's entrusted you with some ability, and, and you're going, man, I'm tired, I'm weary, I don't want to give any more of that. I'm just, I'm, I, I, I don't have anything. And, and, and yet, you will, more will be asked of you. I, I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said, by the way. A lot of our college students are back. Um, some, uh, some of you have returned. We had some up here on the platform today. Um, some are new here. Uh, I, I want to welcome all of our college students here today. Um, we're very excited that you're here. There's going to be even more coming I'll tell you what, God is doing an amazing work in our college ministry. Uh, I, I, I love it. We, we have more happening now than we've ever had. And I'm so very grateful for what God is doing. Through, and so thank you to those who have stepped up and, and are leading that. But God is doing some amazing things. Listen to me. Following Jesus, and this is for, this is for our, our, our college students, this is for any person who's new in the faith. Following Jesus is not only the greatest thing in life, it's the greatest adventure you'll ever encounter. Let me say that again. Following Jesus is not only the greatest thing in life, it's also the greatest adventure you will ever encounter. I've been serving Jesus for a very long time, and, and, and every day is an adventure in following him. I don't know where he's going to lead. Let me tell you also, as you follow Jesus, he will show you amazing things, and he will give you amazing opportunities. I think, I think of just, you talk, you talk about, uh, 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 given much and entrusted with much. Um, let, me just, let me just share uh, some of what God has done here in years past. A number of years ago, a young woman named Christy attended this church while she was a student. She attended this church 
Well, she was at NSU. She, she sat in these pews. She sat in some orange pews that are long gone. Hallelujah. Um, but she attended this church. God shaped her in those college years, and now she represents our state in the U.S. House of Representatives. Adam attended here while he was a student at NSU. He grew much in, in his walk with Christ here. He met his wife here. Adam is now a life-changing teacher and coach here in this state. A few years before that, Phil was a student and, and he began attending. I remember him, big, big Phil, and, and God began to really work some things in his life. And he also met his wife here. This is a great place to meet a wife, by the way. God, he also met his wife here. And today he's working for, for our attorney general. He's in a place of influence. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually, you, you, you heard or uh, maybe you listened to to a young woman named Amber. A few years ago, just a few years ago, she also attended AFA while she was a student at Presentation College. Jesus spoke to her many times. She sat kind of over in this area and God spoke to her many times as she was a part of this church. Just a few days. In just a few days, she's fully funded now. In just a few days, she leaves to serve as a missionary on the other side of the world. I mean, little Trevor Econger, the kid who used to drive me nuts. Man, he's even made it to, to, uh, to better homes and gardens. Now, that's not that significant. But more than that, he's being used in planting a church in New Orleans. Glory to God. And, and I wonder, what is God speaking to people right now? And we think, well, we're just, you know, a nice-sized congregation in a corner of South Dakota. What can God do with us? amazing things He can do with us if we trust Him with much. Because He's entrusted us with much. As we surrender ourselves to Him and say, Lord, it's not about me. I'm denying self here. It's not about me. It's all about You. As we see some things put to death in our lives, we put them on the cross that Jesus died on. We put them on the cross and then we follow Him. I'll tell you what, that person, God does amazing things in their life. He gives them much and He entrusts them with much. I share those few examples because I want you to know that it's very important in the next few years that Jesus desires to speak some things into you. Jesus desires to speak some things into you regardless of your age, regardless of what has happened. It doesn't matter if you're 90-something or 70-something or 50-something or teen something. It doesn't matter your age. God is speaking into the lives of young people <coughs> right now in, in, in AFA Kids and He's stirring some things in them. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon and He wants to use people and He's going to give us much and He's going to entrust us with much. And it starts right here. For any person of any age that Jesus uses in some unusual or remarkable way let me add this. If He allows you to see something that others have not yet seen, don't think too much of yourself. Let me say that again. Peter, James, and John, well, they saw some pretty amazing things that the others didn't see. Sometimes God allows us to see and do some things that others have never seen or done. But when that happens, I warn you, don't think too much of yourself. It's not you. It's Him. It's Him. And, on the other hand, 
if he chooses to use someone other than you in some remarkable way, if you're one of the nine who stand back and just wait while the other three go off, if he chooses to use someone else other than you in some remarkable way, then don't think less of yourself. Don't resent what happens to them and what doesn't happen to you because here's the good news. He's going to use you in another way. He's going to use you in another way. I'm not much of a craftsman. I can't build many things, but I do know this, that when you have a whole bunch of tools, some tools you use all the time. Some tools are really big and heavy and awesome and expensive, and other tools, boy, I tell you what, it may not be that significant, but when you need that tool, you need that tool. We're tools. Now, that, that term tool has, has taken on in recent years, call someone a tool, it means that they've been taken advantage of. It means a person who's been exploited. Well, I, I don't want to, I'm not talking about that. I am a tool. You are a tool in the hand of God. And some of you, man, it's, I'll tell you what, other people are going to see it, and other, others it's going to be down. But I'll tell you what, it, God is going to use you. So don't get upset. Don't get upset if God sees someone else. Rejoice with them and say, Glory to God, we're in this together. He's going to use me in another way with another person. Every person here this morning, every person listening to this message has a purpose in God's great plan. Every person. I tell you, I feel this so strongly and so deeply. Every person here has a purpose in God's great plan, and He is preparing you for things ahead. Some of the challenges that you're going through right now or the challenges that you faced, it, it, was, it was God getting you ready to be used in miraculous ways going forward. Those things that happened to you did not happen by chance. The things that you've survived, the things from which you've recovered, the things from which you have become stronger, those were not incidental. They are purposeful. And God has a plan to use those things for His greater plan. The thing that stops us, or that stops it from happening is us. Not Him, it's us. So Lord, to be your disciple, we surrender ourselves to you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Right where you're sitting or standing, right now, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I just... Uh, I, I surrender myself to you and I pray that, that myself would be secondary, far down the list to, to your will being done in my life. Lord, it's, it's your self that matters, not myself. So Lord, I deny self. I'm a living sacrifice and so often I want to crawl off the altar so many things that happen, Lord, and I just, I want, I want to see myself exalted. Jesus, I surrender myself. Pray that. Lord, there's some things in my life that I know are not of you. Lord, I want to kill it. Put it on the cross. I want it to die. I want it to die. 
And unlike your cross, that thing never resurrected. Take up my cross. I'll follow you. For this I pray. Lord Jesus, Messiah, you came to make all things right. But the way that you're doing it is through your people. Oh, someday you will return. You will rule and reign. The wickedness of this world will be banished. We look forward to that day. But in the meantime, you are empowering, directing, entrusting, and giving things to your people so that others might come to you and be made right. You have given us much so that we will tell the world around us of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And not just Messiah, but Savior, Healer, and Deliverer, and soon coming King, God. To tell them that you are God. So Lord, around this sanctuary right now, as people are making an altar of prayer right where they are, Speak to them. Identify the things that you've given them, trusted to them. May it be uppermost in our minds that one day we will return them all to you. We will give an answer. We will give an account of what we did in the time that we had with what you gave us. Help us to live this day, the rest of this day, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, month, and year until we see you face to face. Help us to live this day in light of that day. Begin something or continue something here that will go far beyond this place. Change our world for your glory, not ours. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, please. These altars are going to be open. I'm going to ask God's blessing on you. You're free to go or you're free to gather around these altars. But I ask you this. Would, may, may you allow the Holy Spirit to just roll these things again and again through your heart and through your mind. In, in, in the, the busyness of life and the distractions of this world, don't let these things escape your spirit. Lord Jesus, now, as we go from this place in the moments or the hours ahead, I ask that we would go with the, the acute awareness that you've called us, you've gifted us, you've entrusted much to us, and we do so again for your glory, your blessing upon us as we go out from this place, as we continue in so many ways, in so many places to love you, not just here, for a set time, Sunday or Wednesday night for Jesus to love you and to love others because you've loved us we have the ability to love others some who are very unlovable help us to do that and Lord help us to share you because you are the only message that we have for you are the only message you are the only person who can change lives eternally 
Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.